Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. So welcome back everyone. Good to see you. Back for more of our uh, taste of cause and effect and our exploration of the way that the Buddha's teaching revolutionized this, uh, this very fundamental principle or model. So, um, last week, the predominant traditional Western views of cause and effect. Find out if you have any uh, questions. Uh, lingering questions from last week or from anything we've covered so far um, before we launch into the next uh, phase of this work. So if you if you do have a question or something came up that you um, wanted to mention, uh, if you click on the reactions button at the bottom of your screen, you can raise your hand and then I'll see if anyone has any questions. Okay, it's all very clear then. Good. So you'll recall the two major views that we talked about were those of uh, Heraclitus, everything flows, reality as process and flow, and the view of Parmenides, all reality is one, change is impossible, um, existence is timeless and uniform and necessary. Whatever is, is, and whatever is not, cannot be. From nothing, nothing comes. So that became the prevailing view in Western philosophy through Plato's concept of ideal forms and the metaphor of the cave through Aristotle's logic and the four cause, categories of causes, which we covered last week, and through the Christian doctrine of God as the unmoved mover. <clears throat> but what were the models of cause and effect in India at the time of the Buddha? And this will help us understand why his own teaching was so revolutionary and so radical. <clears throat> In the Buddhist time, there were several prevailing philosophical views of cause and effect, and many teachers with schools representing their views. Joanna Macy, in talking about this, excludes mythic views uh, to focus just on philosophical schools, but she does note that cause and effect function differently in myth. In the Vedic ritual of sacrifice and fire, for example, in the, the fire sacrifice nourishes, feeds back to the gods that which their existence makes possible and which they in turn require for their own continuity and power. <clears throat> so she is not um, going to delve into the mythic uh, constructs of cause and effect and time, which operate completely differently, really, than these philosophical constructs. <clears throat> The first one, uh, and the most probably predominant, uh, is the Vedic view, the view from the Vedas and from the Upanishads. Um, cause and effect are unidirectional. In the, and in this view, the cause, the notions of svabhada, own power, and satkaryavada, self-causation, the effect pre-exists in the cause. The effect represents potency inherent in the cause and unfolds and evolves from it sequentially as, um, let's say, curds from milk or as rain from clouds, as Joanna Macy says. It's inherent in the thing itself, 
what, uh, what effects will come out of it. As such, effects and transformations represent new guises of the old. Uh, so the logic of this view stems from the Vedic equation of the real with the immutable, an absolute that's aloof from change. So this sounds familiar, uh, like the unmoved mover, right? Um, this creates a problem though. How can you relate the true and changeless to the existential experience of change? We all experience change. We're all aging. We're all, we all see flowers bloom. <clears throat> Macy explains, the appearance of novelty was interpreted either as the ripening of a previously existing condition or as an outright illusion, which was called Maya. In either case, change, the realm of Maya, is seen as that which obscures the real and deludes the mind. So there's this underlying essence, it's pure, it's eternal, it's uncontaminated, um, and so it's just our minds that create the idea of change. The distinction between the eternal, true, and absolute essence and phenomenal reality led to a distinction between substance and attribute. <clears throat> change comes to be seen as the consequence of properties superimposed on the underlying essence. Whether those properties were seen as real by the Samkhyans or illusory by the Upanishadic and Vedantic thinkers, they were viewed as binding and perilous to the spirit. She notes, where an absolute is posited as the abode of pure being, it is also the locus of power and agency. In the Hindu tradition, this source is Brahman, or Atman. The process of phenomenal change and evolution requires the presence of the changeless, pure spirit. Change coming from or created by an unalterable agent is unidirectional. As Macy points out, this became, in non-Buddhist India as it did in the West, the predominant model for causality. A second model was held by the Karvakas and uh, Lokayatas, materialist determinism. So this model denied an original spiritual transcend transcendent cause. Events can be understood in inherent properties of matter. So there are many contemporary scientists that hold this view also, this materialistic uh, view. Some materialists held the strict determinism. The Ajivakas held a concept of fate and a material view of karma that allowed for neither will nor chance. There's nothing you could do about it. The third uh, main view that, uh, that Macy talks about is, was held by the outer Chavadins, um, and they were accidentalists. So the soul and the world arise without a cause. So early Buddhists categorized the various teachings and causal modes into uh, four groups. Now, the first group, satyam katam, means self-caused, internally caused. Everything's caused by uh, what is internal to the thing. Uh, two, param katam, externally or other cause. Everything's caused by someone else or something else moving it. Uh, three, both self and externally caused. And four, neither self nor externally caused. So this, of course, is a famous fourfold set of propositions that's known as a quadrilemma. Instead of the usual two horns of a dilemma, there are four mutually exclusive propositions. So they seem kind of airtight. There are no other possibilities, right? It has to be one of these. It's one, the other, both, or neither. 
So why is Zell's background important? What do these views have in common and why do they matter? First of all, these models of cause and effect continue to predominate not only in India, but in our own society and in our personal lives today. So uh, here's a reminder about some example, examples. The effect is inherent in the cause. For example, your depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, or the saying, boys will be boys. It's just inherent in the, in the cause. Some external cause creates the effect. His terrible work situation is causing his high blood pressure, as an example. Or um, an example from an insurance report, the tree jumped in front of my car. So causes are both internal and external in the third condition. A bad environment and a longing to belong lead teenagers to join gangs. So uh, the kind of slogan for that is crime is the result of motive plus opportunity. So some internal and external. And then uh, finally, there's no cause and effect relationship. Life is full of random, unpredictable events that have no cause. We just try to explain the chaos somehow by making up cause and effect stories. And the slogan for this is shit happens. So, all right, um, there are the four terms of the quadrilemma. We, um, in our own practice, we might even cycle through these explanations, especially when we've been shocked by some event or experience searching for a cause. But by now, you may have guessed that none of these models are truly satisfactory if you've lived even more than 20 years. They're also important because they have implications for power, karma, agency, and responsibility. Karma was already a well-established concept, and so there were different views on these topics. These views included karmic determinist, that is, your karma is due to what uh, one did in the past, maybe in a past life. The theistic determinist, this is due to creation by God, and the indeterminist, without any cause or reason. Buddhists rejected all of these views. All of these views are essentially linear. Cause creates effect, and that change goes in one direction only. Effects cannot modify causes. Well, it just makes sense, doesn't it? In this respect, Indian philosophy parallels Western philosophy as we raced through last week. Against this backdrop in India, as well as in contemporary Western culture, Buddha provided a radically different causal vision. In the next three weeks, we'll explore that vision in more detail. But first, let's consider why we ask why. It's the first question and the most persistent question we ask. It seems to me that in evolutionary terms, the answers to our why questions had real survival value. If we knew why Thor was killed, wild tiger, marauding clan, drinking bad water, we could avoid the same fate and we could teach our children to avoid it. The answers, no matter how incomplete, poorly informed or even wrong they may be, soothe our existential anxiety. They help us plan, predict, prevent at least somewhat so that bad things don't happen and good things do happen. This gives us a sense of control over our lives, our continued existence, our well-being, our success and our happiness. So much of our parenting is about teaching our children how to avoid harm 
and find a path to happiness or success. To do this, we're continuously vigilant about causes, causes of bullying, causes of struggles in school, causes of qualities like persistence, grit, and self-worth. If we can root out the causes of problems, we can ensure our child's well-being and safe passage to adulthood. At any rate, we're obsessed with causes, working backward from desirable or undesirable effects. If you had done your homework, you wouldn't have gotten a C. Or working forward, projecting into the future the effects of present causes. If you don't study harder, you're going to flunk this class, which will destroy your GPA, which means you won't get into a good college, and then you will have an unhappy, unsuccessful life. One of the things I loved about playing pool was its simplified model of cause and effect. You hit a ball with a pool cue and it reacts in a way determined by geometry and physics. If it does not do what you expected, you did not hit it correctly according to your plan. Of course, it is complicated by the presence of other balls on the table as well as the actions of your opponent, which leave the table in a new configuration with each turn. But the satisfying click of the balls, the stillness of the array, the inevitability of missing a shot, give a kind of reassuring sense of order in the universe. It seems there is not really any role for chance. Your miss is the result of your error. The interaction of pool cue and ball seems like a perfect example of linear causality, and that is how we tend to view cause and effect. I think that's part of the game's appeal. In a tiny, orderly universe, the laws of physics and geometry of simple cause and effect are affirmed. Nothing in our daily lives is quite like that. In fact, nothing in a game of pool is quite like that either. So now suppose that the balls are actually hamsters and the pool cue is an octopus and the pool table is a mountain range with constantly erupting volcanoes. Your job is to get the hamsters into their correct numbered burrows before they're consumed by the lava. Now we're getting a little closer to life as we know it, right? As the talking heads famously asked, how did we get here? So I'd like us to take some time to explore a little bit further together. And this means doing a little bit of writing as usual. So I hope you have writing materials handy, uh, paper and pencil or pen. Um, and I'm gonna give you some, a set of questions one at a time. Uh, and we're going to take our time with this, so you don't need to feel rushed. You don't have to hurry. Um, we're really going to uh, give you a little time and space to reflect on this. So first, you might become mindful where how you're sitting, where you are, how your body's feeling. And see if you can recall three important events in your life. Take your time and be mindful and just you're just going to list them briefly just so that you can recall which ones they are. Three important events in your life. Okay, choose one event from your list. And you're going to write about the cause or causes of that event and keep writing without stopping until I tell you to quit, even if you're writing, I don't know what else to say. So 
<clears throat> think about one event, write about the cause or causes of that event. Keep writing without stopping until I tell you to quit. Okay, let's stop right there. I think we make discoveries whenever we drive out beyond the limits, city limits of our concepts, right? So part three, thinking about the same event, write about the impact of the event on yourself and others as far as you can discern. The impact of the event on yourself and others as far as you can discern. What happened? What changed for you or for others? Thinking about the same event, write about the impact of the event on yourself and others as far as you can discern. What happened? What changed for you or for others? Okay. <clears throat> of course, you could write a lot more about the uh, ever uh, expanding circle of influence of any event, right? Um, so, but we'll we'll stop here and we'll um, we'll get in groups of four. Maybe uh, Kim could create some breakout rooms, groups of four, and leave me out. And um, we'll. What I would like you to discuss, and I'll put this in the chat, and also I'll put it, I can share the screen, um, is what you can discover about which, if any, of the four models of causality showed up in your writing. So there may be more than one. And I'm gonna put this, uh, I'll put it in the chat and then I'll share the screen too, so you can see this. Um, this is the one. Um, so can you see, does it say start at the top in groups of four? Yeah, okay. Um, so I'll put this, uh, I'll put this in the chat also. Um, I'm not sure if you see the chat when you're... So we'll see this chat, but we won't see the um, screen share. In the, in the breakout rooms? Okay. So, all right. Um, Okay, so now it's in the chat too. So, so we'll, yeah, let's do a breakouts until, um, oh, let's ha have maybe um, 20, 25 minutes, I guess, of breakout time. Welcome back. <laughs> I'm really curious to see whether you discovered any evidence of these four um, models of cause and effect in what you wrote. Um, what did you discover? If you didn't discover those, any of those four um, models of cause and effect, what did you discover about uh, your presumed causes and presumed effects of your event? You can raise your hand if you want to. Uh, Claudine has her hand up. Okay. 
Great. Well, I had a question because I thought, and many of the persons that were with me in the group thought very, very often to number three, inherent and outside causes. And suddenly I thought it must be a different model. It's not one, two, three, or four. It's not five, but it must be something different. But we didn't know which, <laughs> what it was. But uh, I had the feeling there was another model. There was another model present. Uh huh. Because the number, the number three, for instance, uh, is very often going to explaining everything, taking control, and also playing with guilt and responsibility and blaming and this. And it's not so satisfactory. It's not very, I don't know. <laughs> Satisfaisant is the word in French. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you. Ah. Yeah, so the possibility of other models is what you're talking about, right? Sandra. So for me, uh, you know, it was very clear immediately the different models that was working with my, the issue that I choose. But the more and more that was writing down, is something happened that immediately was the unknown feeling. So just to be in that space of unknown, that was very relief. Mm. It was no more trying to find the cause and effects, the causes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It was just to be in that space of the unknowing. Mm -hmm. So, so really, that's something that I start thinking. Say, oh, how much I start trying to grasping for that causes. Yeah. That if I be in that unknowing space, I can be a little more relief instead to start keep. It's, it's clinging. Actually, it's actually relieving, right? Instead of being scary. Exactly. Yes. Ah. Instead to keep looking for the cause. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It is relieving. Yeah. So I really appreciate your exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really true. That um, ability to abide in a place of not knowing is ultimately relieving. You're know, not grasping, you're trying to find an explanation or a cause or uh, a result. We have a lot of different names for causes and a lot of different names for effects, right? I think John might want to say something. Okay, great. Yeah, I couldn't figure out which button to push. <laughs> it just felt like all of life from every direction contributed to the moment that I was, that I said was special. And it uh, sort of set things in motion. It was when Bill kissed me and we'd been out on our first really special date. Uh -huh. um, and he just kissed me and we both just sort of blew. <laughs> so uh, that was an event. Yeah. yeah. The things we had done and lived up to that point were part of it. Yeah, even the problems that came about as parents, I know were concerned he was a graduate student and I was a freshman. 
you know, and all of these life situations and my mother putting together a wedding when she just had a full-time job and a drinking husband, and, you know, but we all just moved forward. Yeah. It was what I was on my way to. I was becoming someone. Uh-huh. And so it all just, it was just a moment in time that sort of set it in, set the plans in motion. Yeah. Yeah. So you noticed how many things contributed as causes to that. Yeah. I, I could not figure out how to describe it in terms of these different models. Well, that's because what you're talking about doesn't fit that those models. It's closer to what the Buddha taught about these um, causes and conditions that arise together. Thank you. That's great. Wonderful. Yeah, Maria. I, I was um, thinking about, like mine was um, starting college at 23 when my daughter started full-time education. Mm -hmm. And I was walking down the path and my friend Kelsey just said, you know, there's a, there's a course starting at the local college with that biology and psychology stuff that you like. Why don't you just come with me? So mm -hmm. I just went, I thought, oh, dear me, you know. So I went with her and the tutor said, yeah, just join the class, just join in. So it, it was sort of her, the tutor's relaxed manner sort of allowing me to just take part. But I was thinking about it when Kelsey asked me, I had to leave school at 16 um, and get a job and earn money and, and I wasn't able to carry on. And I always had a deep regret that I couldn't do that and a, and a sadness and a longing. And I think Kelsey's invitation met that desire in me. And, and pulled it forth and thought, oh, you know, and because I didn't have all the preparation and having to apply, that would have been a barrier for me. It's always been a barrier for me. I always seem to fall into something accidentally or get invited and I just ha happen to be there. And um, so it's kind of like the accidentalness bypassed all the barriers that would have been there. And I ended up going to to college and and, and it was my daughter's was at full-time school, so there was an availability there. But it's like the cause and effect's difficult, isn't it? Because if you go back before that, I fought very hard to get my daughter into that school. So if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have been walking down the path with Kelsey and being invited mm -hmm. to, to go to, to the college. Mm -hmm. and, and if I hadn't have had my past of where a real, when I've missed out so much, would I have taken it up? And if I didn't have a deep desire for my, to want my daughter to have a better life because of the life I'd had earlier, would I have been, would I have gone forward more? There's so many variables and so many internal, external, internal meeting, something at the right time. Yeah. And I think that's what it's always been like for me. Something's met me at the right time or something in me. And then it's gone forward because other times things have met me and, and it's not been the right time. Right. Right. Isn't that um, so much that sense of these, uh, of the co-creation of causes and effects together. So they all are feeding into each other and creating this moment. And the moment of readiness, the moment when you really can step into what is being offered. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's marvelous. That's such a good example. Yeah. Wonderful. 
It's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kim. Yeah, so I've continually had problems with the idea of cause because we have so many choices other than with plain pool, you know, where I can see the, the cause was that the cue stick went in a slightly different direction than it was supposed to. Because <laughs> I had a lot of those hits. But um, so my deal was, was getting married and I wrote right away, I was lonely, I wanted a friend and I wanted to be free of my parents. Ah, um, but they seemed as I wrote more and more, and I think about it with each of those, I had choices. I could have made friends in other ways. I could have, uh, you know, been free of my parents, which was a thing in my mind. I wasn't living with them or anything. It was just uh -huh. that, uh, the lonely. I could have been better about uh, making friends. I could have figured out how to do that. You know, I was off in a new town in graduate school. I didn't have any friends. So, um, so there was all that. So, but they seem more like conditions mm -hmm. that, than causes. Uh -huh. where, where, like another one I had was my grandpa died of a heart attack. And, and there were definitely causes there. He couldn't reach over to his nitroglycerin pills, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, so that seemed more clearly a cause. Mm. Yeah. And you, you would put on his, the death certificate, cause of death, couldn't reach his bills, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but he could have not reached his bills and somehow lived, too. Yeah. So, um, so I have problems with this idea of causes. Yeah. For, for the most part. It's really challenging. I mean, I think what the Buddha's talking about, and we'll talk about this more next week, is... Um, more what we would call conditions um that is the conditions under which yeah. so there are many because one gives you choices it seems where causes your your it's a more of a deterministic view well i think um in uh in terms of the way the buddha was thinking he was thinking about what's the universal like not reaching your nitroglycerin pills doesn't universally cause death but birth universally causes death right but you said birth was a condition for death. Condition for death in the sense that death can't occur unless birth has occurred. And for every birth that occurs, death occurs. So those things are linked, right? Yeah. And that, um, and it's universal. So none of the other sort of causes we think of for death are universal, true. Many people are lonely and they don't get married. That's right. That's right. Or they, or they get a pet or they <laughs> join the Sierra Club or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a variety of possibilities for any, any sort of given set of conditions. But yeah. Yeah. So well, we, you, do, we do have choices, though, don't we? Because it's like if we didn't make if I didn't make the choice of Katie's school to be there, then like A wouldn't equal B. Oh no, so no, everything else would have happened, wouldn't it? Everything else has consequences, you know, everything. Um, uh, and this is, this is the other teaching, you know, everything has consequences, but we do have choice, which is different from the um, deterministic view, which is that everything is, you know, just your karma playing itself out and you can't really change that bad things happen to you, too bad. You know, it's just something bad you did in a previous life. 
Um, so, um, but that, um, that actually doesn't solve the problem because why did you do something bad in a previous life? Because of your karma from a previous life, right? So um, there's sort of a uh, rule of infinite regress there, right? So there's no, also no morality, it seems, or no, no way of uh, obeying the precepts or doing the precepts or whatever. Accountability, really, you're not responsible for anything since it's, you just inherited this karma. Um, so it creates lots of problems societally, yeah, to have to hold a deterministic view. Because why not just murder somebody and take their money? I mean, what difference does it make? Everything's determined, predetermined. So, yeah, so I think this is, um, uh, this is where the shortcomings of each of these become apparent. The effect is inherent in the cause. Um, that there you end up blaming the victim, right? Well, something you did or ate or something, um, you know, triggered cancer in your body or, you know, like it's, um, it's, it's in you. The problem is in you. So it, obviously for large societal problems like racism, that one doesn't work at all. Um, it's just not a, a causal um, relationship. So, um, and then external causes create the effect you know, you can't always assume that something else is creating your problems, right? So. Well, you can, but it's not le legitimate. It doesn't, it's not. I mean, we often do. Right, but it doesn't match reality. So it's not a good match for reality. And then causes that are both internal and external, um, that one is harder to see what the problems are with it. But I think um, it's still linear is the problem. So um, there isn't a sense uh, of effects that influence the causes. So in, um, you know, in, for example, in um, uh, the formation of gangs, um, there's something about the formation itself that's creating the formation, right? Um, so this uh, um, sense of daring and adventure and, then it feeds back in, these kids come in, they're looking for daring and adventure and it amplifies that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and then the idea that there's no cause and effect relationship, again, life is full of random unpredictable events that have no cause. Now we're in the realm of Camus probably. Um, uh, there were some uh, strands of existentialist thought that were like that. Since life is random, it doesn't make any difference what you do. Um, when uh, this is clearly not true, it does make a difference what you do, and there are links between events. So, I think we have uh, Lisa raised her hand. Um, I don't remember what you said a minute or two ago, but I think there was racism, or maybe it was my association to what you said brought up racism. That no, I, I mentioned that. You know, like okay, so I say some. You know. Um, the effect is inherent in the cause, then basically you're saying racism is created because there are black people. Mm. Right. I mean, what it, what it made me think of is how we, how we see cause and effect would, would seriously impact how we deal with things like racism. Absolutely. You know, if, if it's just no cause and effect, it just happened, then people could say we don't have any responsibility for for making it better <laughs> That's right cause and effect um, models are hugely hugely important for accountability responsibility 
for punishing and blaming, for determining, um, you know, what uh, what kinds of treatments are needed. Um, all kinds of uh, issues depend on our cause and effect model. Yeah, absolutely. It has a huge impact and our models have been very primitive and the results show themselves. Now you can you can see the outcome of those very primitive models. So if the effect is inherent in the cause, you get to blame the victim. Yeah. You know? And if some external cause creates the effect, people are perpetually victimized by things they can't control. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so yeah, there uh, it's huge for responsibility, power, influence, um, punishment, blame, um, and um, uh, provision of solutions. So when you're trying to solve a problem, you have to have a model of cause and effect in order to, you know, put something into place that's going to have the effect that's desired, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so often, because our models of cause and effect are primitive, the effects are not what we expected. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Damaging instead of helpful. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is why this is crucial. It's the, and why, why it's the heart of the Buddha's teaching, actually. The one thing that's at the very core that he taught everywhere he went um, is the, the reality of dependent co-origination. So, and that means that our models of how we resolve difficulties have to change um, we, and hence that's why we think you know classes like this are important because people have to get another view and the prevailing views are not adequate is that like that the thing all blames into one that kind of makes us look at we're always looking at our part no matter what happens no matter how it appears we're always looking at our part in it the ways that we participate or contribute to um, the causes and conditions that create either suffering or create joy. Um, we can't, there's no linear uh, way to produce that effect, right? But we have, we're participatory in the causes and conditions that bring it about. It's like we can't make a flower bloom, but we can water it. We can provide fertilizer, we can make sure it gets enough sun, you know, and we're helping support the causes and conditions that will allow that flower to bloom. And I think anybody who has kids knows this sort of intuitively because that's what you come to discover when you have kids. You can't make the kid into a doctor, <laughs> but you can um, imbue the child with uh, love and care and affection and allow their compassion to blossom into however it's going to show up, right? So, uh, so this is why we need, we need to understand our, these models better. So Nicole? Hello. Good to see you, Peg. Good to be here on time and not see the recording. I'm so sorry about your airport adventure. Uh, that was, I, this has been very useful. It was like, this is, I could be very upset here, but actually I have a choice as to how I deal with it. So it's actually very useful. Um, and the thing that does, re I get, I was saying to the, the women that I was working with earlier on, I'm going to turn sideways, because I just want to go, <laughs> I get very itchy, scratchy about random. Yeah. The, the random 
and that's a cause and effect in is random the thought of um somebody being born and being battered and being imprisoned for an accident of birth whatever i want to use the term feels so unjust and when i was very wee i thought that life was fair innocently god love me um and then when i think of random there is something about it that and i i will process this but random kind of leans into life's unfair and that's what really triggers me because i think if if i was born differently i might be in israel right now bombing palestine or i might be in palestine bombing israel so it's that the randomness i've yet to kind of settle with that so peg can you give me some information please about randomness i can let go of my itchy scratchy <laughs> well we don't have control over anything mm. um, we have a, have fantasies of control <laughs> we have temporary illusions of control but uh, if there's one thing probably the pandemic showed us is we really don't um, we don't have control over our lives in the ways that we imagined or have sort of assumed, you know, mm. along, making our tea and, you know, going to work and assuming that there will, you know, be this continuity, which is illusion. And so, um, but it is not true that everything is random. Mm -hmm. uh, accidents of birth, that is who we're born to and where we're born. Um, and from that point on, we start trying to make sense of our world. And we were subject to the causes and conditions of all the things that are around us. So if we are born in a war zone, we're subject to those causes. Mm -hmm. But we make our interpretations. Um, and I think do think the kids come into the world with some tendencies for interpreting. Mm -hmm. So they interpret, this is all my fault and I'm responsible somehow. Um, or they interpret, um, I can bring joy into the world, or they interpret, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what the circumstances are, I can bring joy, I can make people a little mm -hmm. bit better, I can help people, I can be a little kinder, you know? Um, so I think it's those interpretive uh, strategies that even a very young child begins to bring into the world, and then the, it gets confirmed or disconfirmed by mm -hmm. the right? Um, and the child has to make a decision whether to buck the environment or whether to, you know, and hold on to her optimism, for example, mm. um, and and the uh, calculus for that is is complicated, you know. So a child's trying to sort it out. It's trying to figure it out, you know. Like, mm. is it worth it to be happy? You know, mm. uh, and do I get more cared for if I'm if I'm sad? You know, yeah. cared for if I'm sick. So now I get sick. You know. Mm. So I think there's a way in which these interpretations are coloring our our world um, and filtering our experience in a certain mm. way. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, that part is not random. Our our and as we mature, I think the mark of maturity is I can decide to be happy. I can mm. decide to be defined by my past trauma or my present sickness. Mm. I can make that commitment um, to myself. Yeah. Um, to world with this orientation with this um mm. yeah with with a loving heart for example. yeah 
Thank you, Peg. You're welcome, Nicole. It's so mm. good to see you. Mm. And jo Joan's raising her hand. I think we're at the end of our time, though. But we are. Can I yeah. say two words or three words? Okay, this class that uh, we've been offered by uh, Circe and the others at Appamata to me is a way to influence our thinking. Yes. Open us wider to things that we didn't know so that our reactions to things are based on more information. Yes. That's, That's right. right. That's right. It's wonderful to get that mm -hmm. sort of more uh, bigger perspective. Mm -hmm. All right. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.